really what happened for me um, in writing the book that I wrote, which is called The Roots of the Federal Reserve, I traced the Nephilim agenda from the days of Noah all the way to the U.S. dollar. And there's no way I could have done that without really digging into scripture and using all sorts of other you know, ancient texts and other documents. In fact, in my book, I have 553 references. And so what I found in my research is that the Bible is actually very pertinent to what we're facing now, our current situations, because we're really in the midst of this battle of biblical proportions between good versus evil. And that's why I think it's so important that we understand who the enemy is in this unconventional war because Hosea 4, 6 says, my people will be destroyed for lack of knowledge. As it's been mentioned, symbolism will be their downfall, right? And I, throughout my investigation, I uncovered two symbols that were a consistent thread all throughout history that really revealed the Nephilim and their agenda. And those... With the global economy being in shambles and central bankers moving towards a reset, it's never been a better time to protect your wealth by owning precious metals. Contact Andy at milesfranklin.com. Tell him Sarah sent you. He promised me he will guarantee you the lowest price anywhere in the country. Remember, email Andy at milesfranklin.com and tell him Sarah sent you. It's never been a better time to protect your future than now. Welcome to Business Game Changers. I'm Sarah Westall. I have Dr. Laura Sanger coming to the program. She is just so amazing. She wrote the book, The Roots of the Federal Reserve, and she ties it to the very beginning of um, who the Nephilim are and ties them to the Federal Reserve. And she is talking about who our true enemy is. You know, the Nephilim has been talked about or brought up in the Bible 22 times. So it's a really historical uh, word and how they describe these beings and who they are. And even if you aren't Christian and you are um, just looking at all this from an objective standpoint, it's hard to uh, not admit that there's something else going on here. It's obvious that there's a, a one world order agenda. And, and these the reality, and if you look at the Bible as a historical document, you can really start to see, um, get a lot of wisdom and get a lot of understanding of maybe what we're dealing with here. And she's going to describe all this and how, how it all works and what these people are. And it is an incredible, I don't know what's true, but I sure know that there's something out there that is not what we think and that there's this agenda that is trying to mess with humanity. And it's becoming more and more clear the more you do research. And this is just a phenomenal look at that. And everywhere I turn, every research rock I turn over, it becomes clearer that there is something here that is grouping this group together to work together. And we need to identify that. And she does a great job of using historical context and the Bible and other historical works to understand what this is. And what a wonderful conversation we have. And I, I got to tell you, she stays after for my members. And we talk about the 18 characteristics and uh, physical and other physical characteristics that she's used to identify who these Nephilim hosts are. And the reason we're doing it for our members and not just 
publicly doing it is because there, you have to have some um, discernment with this because there needs to be a lot more research that goes into it to make sure that this is actually what it is. And But it gives us a really good start of what this is all about. I want to get to a point where we can just use a device and look at their brain scans and know that, you know, easy, all of us, we can eat immediately identify who these people are because it's so hard when we don't know who our enemy is you know is there a brain you know psychopaths and sociopaths obviously are a crossover with these people and just identifying that would probably be good enough and i do believe that there are uh there is technology now where we can scan a brain and see if they're a sociopath or a psychopath and we can immediately identify them as our enemy because even if they're not part of this agenda they're still an enemy of some sort. And so we need to at least identify that. But anyways, before we get into this, I want to remind you to go to my website, sign up for my newsletter. While you're there, please support my affiliates. That's how I support the show. And then also I have that lawsuit against Google with there's 15 of us that are suing Google and we still need a little bit of funds. I have some private uh, donations that came in that doesn't show up on Give, Send, Go, but we are still short of where we need. So if you have not have not contributed yet, please think about doing that. You know, whatever you can give is we're thankful for. Um, we're not going to stop fighting Google. We need to bring, you know, real back in the censorship and start to put the brakes on it. And we think that our case is just a really solid case. And if nothing else, other people that make it to the Supreme Court can really rely on the work that we've done. Our attorneys worked on Trump's case as well. And so there was a lot of cross knowledge with that. Um, we're ahead of that case, quite a bit ahead. And so it, it we can't wait. We've got to move this forward. And so I've had a lot of people tell me that. Sorry, you got one of the best cases. You're the, about the farthest ahead of anybody. you got to keep this going. So that's what we're doing. We've already filed in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. That's going to be a multi-month process that has to be, uh, they have to go to trial and it has to be heard. And I'm hearing it's about another four to five months, I hope. It's going to happen more than likely before the midterm elections. So we'll be talking about the next phase of this lawsuit around, you know, a couple months before the midterm elections. So it'll be good timing. Anyways, you can go to givesendgo slash defending free speech. You can learn all about that. The case filing is up there as well. Otherwise, if you go to sarahwestall.com, there is a yellow bar. You click on that. It's really obvious. Click on that and you'll be able to go to that page as well and learn all about it. There's articles that I posted and all sorts of things. You can see who's involved in the case and go from there. So thank you so much for those of you who have already supported. I really appreciate you. I mean, I mean, honestly, it's, we're all in this together, but I, I, I really appreciate everyone who, who has donated because I mean, without donations, we, we're not going anywhere. So anyways, let's get into this really good uh, interview with Dr. Laura Sanger. Hi, Laura. Thank you so much for joining the program. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. I really appreciate it. you have been so many people want you to come on the show and have, really respect what you've done with your research. And one of the things is the Nephilim, which is comes up all the time. It's in the Bible. There's I believe there's 22 references to the Nephilim in the Bible. Who the heck are they? Because I know a lot of your research revolves around, around them being the source of a lot of these issues. Definitely. Um, the Nephilim are the giants that are referred to in Genesis 6. And 
you know, I can I can dig into this um, today, and I'm excited to do that because so often, you know, people as they read the Bible, um, you know, they'll just read through it and not really understand what's there. That's one of the things I love about scripture is you can get something just from reading it, but then when you start to dig into it and you start to look at the etymology of the words. So, you know, what what are the words and their meaning in the original language? Oh my gosh, so much, um, you know, comes to the surface. And that's really what happened for me um, in writing the book that I wrote, which is called The Roots of the Federal Reserve. I traced the Nephilim agenda from the days of Noah all the way to the U.S. dollar. And there's no way I could have done that without really digging into scripture and using all sorts of other you know, ancient texts and other documents. In fact, in my book, I have 553 references. And so I pull in things from all different sources. So I'm excited to unpack it today for sure. Well, that is great. Well, okay. So now you got to unpack what it means to be giants because are they still here and how come we don't see giants? So what does that mean? Well, um, there are giants still here, yes, and um, many people don't realize this, but on the Solomon Islands, um, which is, you know, in the South Pacific near, uh, I think it's it's near Vanuatu and Papua New Guinea, uh, there are giants that are alive today that live in the interior of some of the mountains on one of the islands called Guadalcanal, I think it's Guadalcanal. Um, and there's all sorts of eyewitness uh, references to seeing these giants. But what I do um, in my book is I, I really want to uncover what, the, what I call the Nephilim agenda is. And so it's not so much hunting down giants as it is looking at the big picture of what this agenda is and understanding that it really started um, – in Genesis three, which is the seed war. Um, and, you know, we're in the midst of this unconventional war. You know, I'm grateful that many people are starting to, um, you know, understand, first of all, that we're in the midst of this war, because that's really the first step in understanding that humanity has been under this constant barrage. Um, you know, the, the attack is only intensified over time. And so what I found in my research is that the Bible is actually very pertinent to what we're facing now, our current situations, because we're really in the midst of this battle of biblical proportions between good versus evil. And that's why I think it's so important that we understand who the enemy is in this unconventional war, because Hosea 4, 6 says, my people will be destroyed for lack of knowledge. And so if we think about, you know, who are our enemy, you know, so many people, we have all these terms for them, right? We have the deep state, the globalist, the elite, the cabal, the black hats, shadow government. I'm actually proposing that our enemy are Nephilim hosts. And I can describe what a Nephilim host is in a minute. But I think it's important, first of all, that we recognize that past presidents have actually warned us of who our enemy is, because they've looked um, into the darkness and seen what's, you know, kind of lurking in the shadows. And Eisenhower, he warned us, he said the enemy is a hostile ideology, global in scope, atheistic in character, ruthless in purpose, and insidious in method. And then JFK, he referred to them as a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy, a covert system of infiltration, 
subversion and intimidation. And then Reagan mentioned that they were an intellectual elite from a far off capital. And more recently, Trump refers to the enemy as a failed and corrupt political establishment, a global power structure that's responsible for the economic decisions that have robbed us. So here, each of these great men, you know, they peered into the darkness and they saw what power structures are operating in the shadows. And then, you know, in understanding some of that, we then want to link it to history. We have to understand our history and not just current, you know, within the common era history, but going all the way back. But if we just go back a few centuries in 1776, when our nation was founded, the same time the Illuminati was birthed. And so Adam Weishaupt on May 1st, 1776, he instituted the order of the Illuminati in honor of Lucifer, the bearer of light. And so it was founded to establish a novus ordus seclorum or a new world order. Now, Adam Weishaupt, he was a narcissist of the highest order, and he actually partnered with Mayor Amschel Rothschild, who was the patriarch of the Rothschild banking dynasty. And together, they developed this sevenfold plan for world domination that we are actually living out today. And it can be summarized. So they, they want to abolish all national governments. They want to abolish private property, abolish inheritance. They want to destroy uh, patriotism, destroy Christianity, destroy the family unit, and then create one world government. So we can see how we are in the midst of living through this. And then, of course, when you have this, you know, COVID-19 crisis that hits just about every human on the planet, you can see how these globalists or Nephilim hosts are advancing their agenda of, you know, total domination of humanity. And so that's why I think it's so important that we ask ourselves, you know, what are the roots of these power structures and what are the origins? Because it it requires us going back, like I said, to the dawn of humanity because its origins are in the Nephilim agenda itself. Well, and I've talked to many different people on this topic, not quite like you are, because you are a researcher and a trained researcher, uh, but people who've been involved in, in the orders and, and, and things. And one thing they told me, because I said, well, who are these hosts and who, because you call them Nephilim hosts. And one thing I was told was that the hosts have a chemistry that allows them to be better hosts. And so there's a bloodlines, if you will, that allows them to be better hosts. Is that something yes. you found? Okay. Yes. And yeah, so let me let me unpack that a little bit for us. So first of all, you know, the Nephilim agenda, it was unleashed during the days of Noah. And so it's the plan to defile the human genome through propagating a hybrid race. Now, the purpose of that has been to stage this coup d'etat in God Almighty. Now, in order to understand this Nephilim agenda a little bit more, we have to go back to its origins. And again, that's in the seed war of Genesis 3. So let me let me just read two verses from Genesis 3 because it begins to connect some of the dots. It says, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. 
He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So what this is talking about is after the fall, God declared war between the seed of Eve, which is humanity, and the seed of Satan. So one day Eve's seed would crush Satan. Now, this was the prophetic declaration of the coming Messiah. So Satan's strategy was to contaminate the seed of the woman by altering the genetic code of human life. And this is where the fallen sons of God become integral in Satan's strategy. And we can read about this both in Genesis 6, but also in the extra biblical text of the book of Enoch. So the fallen sons of God, they chose to leave their heavenly abode and they invaded the earth realm by descending on Mount Hermon. Now, Mount Hermon is located um, on the border of Syria and Lebanon, just you know, for folks to have a reference point. But so these fallen sons of God, they descend upon Mount Hermon, and from there they begin lusting after the daughters of men. And they take them as wives, mate with them, and they defile the human genome by birthing the Nephilim. So the Nephilim are that hybrid race of giants. So the Nephilim are the seed of Satan. They're created in his image. Now, what I do in my book is, um, you know, the, the Nephilim kind of have this ethereal nature. And I felt that it was really important to develop a set of proposed criteria that would allow us to be able to discern the presence of Nephilim traits within an individual. And so in order to do that, you know, it really requires uh, what's called a literature review. You know, anytime you do like a, a research um, paper or, you know, you conduct research, you need to look all throughout the literature to figure out, you know, what What's missing? What can I contribute as far as what's already written? And this was an area that I, I felt was lacking. And so this really is one of the first attempts to put forth this proposed criteria of what a Nephilim host looks like. So in doing that literature um, review, what I did is I pulled in ancient documents. So I, I looked at the works of Josephus. You know, he was a famous Jewish historian from the first century AD. I even looked at one of the Greek historians. His name is Her uh, Herodotus, and he's from his work was from 450 BC. And then I tied in, you know, some ancient Egyptian documents, uh, the papyrus of Anastasia the sixth. That document also there's one called the Craft of the Scribe. Those are both from the 13th century BC. So I I pulled in, you know, those documents because they actually provide some information about the giants and traits of the Nephilim, but also, you know, looking at extra biblical manuscripts like the Book of Enoch and Jasher and Jubilees, and then of course using the biblical record. So I I took all of that and I identified patterns and traits. Um, in, in the Nephilim and their giant offspring. So then in chapter 13 in my book, what I do is I coin the term Nephilim host. And what a Nephilim host is, is it's a, it's a human. So it's an individual that is partnered with the spiritual forces of darkness to carry out the Nephilim agenda. And I've identified four physical characteristics and 19 behavioral characteristics. Oh, wow. Perfect. And, you know, when, we think about um, these Nephilim hosts, many of them are the titans of global governance. You know, they're they're the, the global elite that are over industry, banking, academia, healthcare, media, you know, the political establishment. And one of the things I think that is so important, and this is why I love coming on shows like yours, is 
to help people understand the big picture and the agenda because you know nephilim hosts they hate the fact that we are created in the image of god and so they want to destroy our human genome and at the core of the nephilim agenda is the goal to strip us of our humanity and that's why i think it's so important to understand you know how how did this agenda that was unleashed during the days of noah how has this you know, led all the way through history to our current day. And, you know, I tie it to the Federal Reserve, but even beyond that, things that we're seeing in the here and now. And so it all traces through um, history. And and one of the ways I did that is by looking at symbolism. Can I ask you a couple questions um, about what you found before we move on to so much more of this great stuff that you're presenting here? Do you believe that the people in history that wrote all this, they had direct contact with the Nephilim in their original form? Or do you think they talked to God directly to get the information? Or how do you think they were able to document some of this stuff? I think both is true. Uh, so, for example, some of the um, Egyptian documents that I mentioned that I used, um, the Egyptians, they had many encounters with, with what they called the Shashu. And um, one of the things that I do, and I'll actually unpack this a little bit more in a few minutes, but um, I trace the Nephilim agenda, like I said, um, from the Nephilim to the next um, the next giants in the line are the Raphaim. Um, but then as you as you go throughout history, you can see that uh, the Edomites um, also intermingled with the giants. And so the Shashu potentially were the Edomites from the Bible. And what the, the Egyptians describe of the Shashu is they describe their height being extremely tall. They were they were fierce. They were violent. They made um, kind of these guttural sounds, um, and even the smell of them um, was frightening. And so, that's just an example of you know Egyptians that came in contact with these these hybrids. Um, and then also you have uh, certainly those that were alive that had encounters with giants. So David, for example, with Goliath and Goliath had brothers that were also giants and King Og was uh, listed as a giant in scripture. And so you have a lot of um, personal eyewitness interactions with giants that's recorded in scripture and also these other documents. And then you have, like I mentioned, um, even in the Solomon Islands today, uh, some of the natives from Solomon Islands have eyewitness accounts of the giants that live in the interior of their mountains. Well, they have bones all over the world that they've found and they've been discarding and removing. It sounds like to fit in more with humanity, they move to a different, you're saying, they move to a different protocol where they are more hosts with humans that look more like us and that aren't giants in frame, but they take over their, they merge with them. Mm -hmm. One thing that I had, and this is behind the scenes of people that I'm talking to, is one thing they're trying to figure out, and you might have a lot of information for them, how can we distinguish who these people are so that we know who our enemy is? Because it's 
I mean, how do we fight when we don't know who our enemy is? And then the next thing is they're very concerned about the, um, and this is what people are talking about. You never hear it in public, but they're concerned about the humanity surviving and that in the past there has been multiple um, human civilizations that have fell and one um, source of mine says that the past humans had a larger cranium, meaning that their brains were probably larger. And then so the next iterum, they made our brains smaller. And so each time they mess with humanity, they make us less capable of, of being growing in and developing into a nemesis. I don't know if any of this is true, but that's the kind of chatter I'm hearing behind the scenes of how serious this is. Mm-hmm. Yes, I would agree. I mean, they, like I said, the, at the core of their agenda is to defile our human genome. You know, they they want to turn us into hybrids or where we totally lose our sense of humanity and how God has created us. And again, that's why I think it's so important that more people understand the, the history of all of this and recognize that this isn't just something that, you know, came on the scene 50 years, 100 years ago. But this really is the seed war has been happening, you know, since the fall of Adam and Eve. And Satan has been busy at um, really trying to undo God's creation ever since. Have you seen a pattern? And this is something that Mike Harris said is that he's not particularly Bible focused, but he tries to look at all the, the information in a more, you know, not that that's what you're doing as a practical, but more of an objective, practical because reality is reality, whether it matches the Bible or not. And people are realizing, oh my gosh, the Bible is telling us a story of what we're experiencing today. But one of the things that he he pointed out is that they move in 500 years, they plan in 500 year increments and, and act in 50 year increments. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. In, I don't, I haven't seen, seen that pattern, but that would be interesting to hear what he has to say on that. Yeah, I just yeah. thought that maybe you might have saw, seen that. But I think what people need to realize, whether you are um, Christian and whether you follow the Bible or not, is that all of these these uh, things are happening, which are documented in the Bible. And you can really look at it from more of an objective standpoint and say, okay, well, these match. They might have different language in the way they communicate it, but it it seems to match. And it's really quite strange. And even um, I had uh, Mauro Biglino, who is a Vatican translator who translated about 17 different books. And he looks at it as a historical book, how they're tra you know changing our DNA and it's aliens and all this other stuff. But even if you look at it from that way, it's still, it still tells the same picture. It's really mm -hmm. quite interesting, you know, of, of people here, something here today controlling. And so what I'm really, I, I, I want to continue with your stuff, but what we really, really need to get out of this is not only the big picture, but the characteristics of, because this is what I asked some people over the weekend, how do we tell the difference? And they have a lot of people working on it, but they need to work with you and I'm going to get you contact with some people because mm -hmm. that's what we need. And some people say that you can actually, their brain frequencies look different. So we could even automate it, maybe have some tools, but we have to get to this point because otherwise we don't know who to fight. Right. 
Right. Exactly. Now, um, I could go over what um, the four physical traits and 19 behavioral characteristics are, or I could save that, you know, for maybe your members if we wanted to do that. That's perfect. I think. And maybe give them a place to go and look like, do you have it in your book or do you have it in? Mm -hmm. Okay, perfect. Yes. Yeah. So one of the things I think that would help connect the dots for people kind of back to what you were saying about, you know, even if you're not a Christian and um, you want to look at the Bible as a a historical document, which it is, um, I want to lay out some things that will connect history from long ago to right now. And, you know, as, as it's been mentioned, symbolism will be their downfall, right? And I, throughout my investigation, I uncovered two symbols that were a consistent thread all throughout history that really revealed the Nephilim in their agenda. And those two symbols are the circumpunct, which is the circle with the dot or a circle within a circle, and then the color red. And I want to just spend some time talking about the color red in particular, because it's fascinating, again, how it connects ancient history to here and now. Um, So the color red actually became a bit of a calling card, as I discovered, for the Nephilim agenda. And it's indelibly linked to the Edomites. And so let me just share with your listeners who the Edomites are. So the first mention in scripture of the color red, so it's the Hebrew word Adamoni, and it's mentioned when describing Esau. So Esau and Jacob were twins, and they were the twin sons of Isaac and Rebekah. So Esau, when he was born, it was mentioned in scripture that he was of reddish hair and complexion. And so um, Esau was the first mention of the color red. Now, Again, as you dig into scripture, you uncover all these clues that you don't get just from reading it on the surface. So there is this transformation that happened when Esau became Edom. And Edom is the Hebrew word, um, and it means to be read. Now, I'm a researcher, and I have this naturally inquisitive mind. So as I was digging, I was like, what the heck does it mean to, to be read, to choose to be read? And so I started by looking in scripture and, you know, there's a lot of connections between the color red and aligning with the seed of Satan. So back to that seed war that I talked about, and we see this, you know, red is represent represented with sin or the blood of evil deeds. And that's in Isaiah, you know, chapter one, it represents chaos, death, and destruction. And that's in revelation six, it can represent Satan himself. That's in revelation 12. And then the beast mystery, Babylon and martyrdom in revelation 17. And so when Esau chose to be read, what he did is that choice had substantial ramifications upon his generational line. So now thinking about those, that bloodline question that you asked, So here we have someone that chose to align himself with the seed of Satan. And I'll unpack this a little bit because when he was branded, when Esau was branded Edom, it comes from a story in Genesis 25 when he traded, he willingly traded his birthright blessing. And it's from um, verses 29 and 30. It says, once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished, and he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew 
I'm famished. That's why he was also called Eden. Now you read this and you're like, what the heck? Why would he trade his birthright yeah, for why some would anybody? stew? It, yeah. it just doesn't make any sense. And again, this is where it really requires digging deeper. And so as I did, you know, something much deeper than just his desire for red lentil soup was at play here. Esau, what he did was he sealed a transaction, one that would constrict his allegiance to a particular seed, and that was the seed of Satan. So in essence, he aligned himself with the color red by giving up his birthright blessing. So what he did on that fateful day is he rejected the God of his fathers, Yahweh, and he aligned himself with that seed of Satan. And so again, in trying to understand what are the characteristics of someone with Nephilim genes or someone that would, you know, align themselves with the seed of Satan, I began looking at, okay, what can I find out about Esau? And in scripture, it gives us some, you know, description in Genesis 25, 27, it talks about how he's a cunning hunter. He's a man of the field. And so then if you begin to look at the etymology of those words, so for example, hunter in Hebrew, it means a, you know, prey taken in hunting. And it comes from this root word called sued, uh, which means to lie in wait, to chase and to take provision. So Esau was this rugged man. You know, he was an outdoorsman. He enjoyed hunting. He was skilled at it. He loved to kind of move in for the kill. Okay, so where it became really interesting is um, in understanding that the word sued, that, that root word, has a figurative meaning. And the figurative meaning is to catch a human. So in other words, to entrap someone with the intent to exploit for personal gain.